Welcome to the Speckled Truth Podcast. This is the only show dedicated to the conservation of the trophy trout population from the East Coast to the Gulf Coast. Here, we go below the surface to discuss what happens when science and anglers work together for a cause. So gear up with the crew as they talk about all things big speckled trout. Get ready for the slimy, salty truth, better known as the speckled truth. Hey everyone, and welcome to the Speckled Truth Podcast. Uh, This is a little different voice here. This is Captain Kyle Johnson. If you're not familiar with me, you can check out Season 1, Episode 2, where Chris interviews me, and we talk about my role with the Speckled Truth and all that stuff just to give you a little a little background on me but uh i got some really bad news uh unfortunately chris bush is uh no longer a part of the speckled truth uh team anymore he actually decided it was a little too much for him and he he just i don't know he kind of he left us high and dry it it, kind of sucks but me ed and keith are gonna pick up the slack here and do what we can and, and try to keep a good thing going Nah, i'm just kidding i'm just messing around i'm just trying to help him out a little bit and uh, lighten the load some. Uh, Ed and Keith and and I kind of do a lot of things on the back end, but we're trying to help out a little more now and, and kind of spread the load, like I said. But I, I've been wanting to do a podcast for a while, been wanting to host one. And, and I've got my, my favorite person that I wanted to do is the one I'm going to start with. It's uh, Mr. Lowell Odom. Uh, some of you might might know of him. Some of you might not. He's actually a really, really interesting guy. I'm very fortunate. I, I get to spend dang near every day on the phone with him. <laughs> we just talk a lot. Uh, we, we talk about a lot of stuff, uh, life, guiding, speckled trout fishing, all that stuff. But um, I'm going to let him do the introduction here and let him take over. But uh, Mr. Lowell, why don't you uh, tell everybody a little bit about yourself? Hey, Kyle. Thanks for having me on. I guess uh, you and I rate as the B team, seeing as Chris pawned me off on you, huh? <laughs> yeah, I guess, I guess so. But we're gonna we're gonna try and make it the new A team, though. We're gonna try and start over here. I got you. Hey, I want to thank y'all a bunch. And so I live in Rockport. Just to give you a little history on myself, I live in Rockport. I've got a great wife, Dee Dee, that I've had been married to for 32 years. Two kids. Uh, both of them grew up with the passion of the sports that I love hunting and fishing. Uh, Chase started out deckhanded for Jim Freeble, another guide here when he was 12. I think at 19, he got his captain's license. Uh, he doesn't guide full-time anymore. He's working a two-week-on, two-week-off schedule. Hunter, the youngest one, he really just grew up hunting and fishing every day. He was the spoiled baby, uh, got to do it all. Chase is a great guide with customers. Hunter has his license, but you're paying to get to go fishing with him because he's going to jump out of the boat and take off. So that's a little history on my wife and my kids. Uh, got my first guide license in January of 1984, right 80, after the December 83 freeze. Yeah. Wow. I wasn't even born yet, just to put that a little <clears throat> bit into perspective. I was born in 86. So you, yeah, started, guiding <laughs> you started guiding before I was even alive, but go ahead. Yeah, so I, I got my first license in January of 84. Uh, not a captain's license, but a guide license. Uh, the captain's license deal wasn't enforced back in those days. Anyway, you know, my career was not great in the beginning. It was right after a freeze. Uh, 
we didn't have a lot of fish. I didn't really, I wasn't that good at it, to be quite honest with you. I was real fortunate, though, that I had uh, Captain Daryl Skillern, Captain Dana Bailey, Captain James Plog, and Captain Mickey Eastman helped me out a lot through those first years. Uh, those guys made sure I survived. Really, that's, you know, they taught me a lot, but they made sure I survived making enough money. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, you know, I, I had the passion from my dad. And, you know, when you have the passion, you can survive pretty much anything with a little help from friends. So I'd like to thank all those guys, right? Yeah, no doubt. Um, so that's, that's a little bit about me. I moved to Rockport in 92. I'd been guiding in Galveston starting in 84. Moved to Rockport in March of 92. And the same thing is there. I had help here. I mean, it's a hard business to do without getting some help. Uh, Jim yeah, Freeble. I'm- I'm seeing that now. Uh, I'm fortunate. I'm fortunate for people like you and, uh, and to have the relationship we have and, and to bounce ideas off of you. You know, I, I, I kind of feel like I'm skipping the line a little bit because I can call somebody like you and, and ask for advice and, and bounce things off of your head. Um, just so people are aware, uh, go a little bit into, you know, what, what kind of trips you actually did. I mean, I know it's kind of, we talk about this all the time, uh, you know, we got people from all over the place listening to this podcast. So, I mean, you were primarily wade fishing for speckled trout, uh, you know, just kind of go into a, a little bit about that, about what kind of trips you did. Yeah. So we, we broke it up or I broke it up. I'm not going to say we, everybody has their, their, what their specialty is. I ran wade fishing trips from Labor Day to Memorial Day. Uh, and, and look, some of those may turn into drifting trips. Uh, but it was all artificial lures during that time for the biggest part. From Memorial Day to Labor Day, I would run bait fishing trips. And that was for my customers who wanted to bring their wife, their kids, their business partners, business associates, whoever it was that that didn't fish. Um, You know, we still wanted them to have a good time on the water. So we did whatever it was to make them have a good time on the water. Plus, we wanted to make paydays, you know. Uh, so pretty much artificial lure fishing, whether it's wade fishing, primarily wade fishing or boat fishing, Memorial Day to, uh, I mean, Labor Day to Memorial Day and then boat bait fishing trips, Memorial Day to Labor Day. And, and look, I, I was about to tell you, I had a lot of help here. When I moved here, Jim Freeble, Gary Klaus, Jay Watkins, uh, James Fox, who's no longer with us. Uh, those were some of the guys that really helped me here getting trips booked. Mm-hmm. So, you know, big thanks out to those guys too, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, like I said earlier, it, 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 those, those captains that, that are super passionate about it, uh, like, like we are, like, like you were when you were guiding, like I am now just getting started. You can tell who's passionate because they actually want other guides to come up in the game. You know, th- those are the guys that, you know, are real deal that are really passionate about it. They don't get mad when they see another guide and, and, you know, when, when a, a younger guide asks them for advice, they'll, they'll, they don't hold back. They tell you a lot of the secrets, a lot of the stuff that took them years to learn, but not only that, but, you know, throwing you trips and help you build your clientele. It's a really, really cool thing. And, and I'm, I'm in the early stages of it, but uh, I really in, enjoy that about the guys who are truly passionate about it. Um, now, when you say you did a artificial trips back then, so 
what were y'all primarily throwing back then when you were doing the artificial trips? You know, we, we threw a lot of tails, just when I say tails, soft plastics with a jig head, just cause it was a great way to get bit. Right. We weren't mm-hmm. fishing for the biggest fish. We were fishing for the numbers. We were trying to find schools and get on numbers. Not saying we didn't throw top waters. It's a great location bait. Sometimes you have great trips on them. Uh, you know, my old saying in the old days was you can't fillet a blow up, you know, <laughs> yeah. you can't, you can't put a blow up on a stringer. And, <laughs> you know, back then we were told by parts and wildlife is you cannot hurt this fishery with a rod and reel. And it was probably true at that time with the number of people buying licenses, the number of people utilizing the resource the quality of the resource at the time, uh, the technology at the time, you know, that was probably a true statement coming from those guys, right? Mm-hmm. Um, as the boats got faster, longer fuel range, better economy, better electronics, the anglers got better, the equipment got better, techniques got better. We did put a hurting on the population with the rod and reel. I was a big part of that. I, I admit that. Um, yeah, it's funny. It's funny you bring that up because I I was just recently talking with somebody about this because, um, you know, I have mixed feelings about that. I I kind of, you know, I disagree with that statement that, that we can't hurt a population with rod and reel, but, uh, someone actually kind of changed my view on it. You know, when I talk about conservation, I'm mainly talking about, you know, speckled trout and redfish and things like that. But, I was talking with uh, Paul Miller. He, he, he runs a podcast called Tuna Town Talks pod, Podcast. Great podcast for, for those of you listening that are, that are into fishing podcasts. It's just a, it's kind of like this, but the offshore version, to tell you the truth. He's interviewed some really awesome, influential people down in Venice and, and people in Orange Beach, Alabama. And we were talking about that. And, and when I said that, he kind of stopped me and was like, well, you know, you can't really say that because the past two years have been the best year for tuna ever out of Venice. So it's kind of, you know, I kind of now, you know, he's younger than me. He's like 24, I'm 34. And here he is telling me like, you know, you can't really view everything as that. And he's, he, he didn't say it as, you know, trying to go against conservation. What I'm saying, because that podcast surprisingly has a, a lot to do with conservation, but people are still saying that when it comes to speckled trout. And I'm like you, man, I mean, things have changed. It's gotten so much easier for the angler to, to really hone in on these fish. And and I feel like we can put a hurting on the population with just rod and reel, but that's that saying still kind of lingering around in the, uh, the inshore world as well. Uh, And I just, I don't know, man. I, 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 I just kind of, it's hard for me to agree with it that, that you can't with rod and reel with, with all the advantages that we have now. Yeah. Hey, that, that's why parks and wildlife has changed our limits is because they realize that more people using the resource, better educated, better anglers on average. I would say the average angler is far better today than they were 20 years ago. Um, <clears throat> better at using their electronics, uh, all sorts of places they can learn uh, how to target, you know, and I'm talking like you, trout and redfish. I mean, look, Jay Watkins puts on a seminar where if you pay to go to it, 60 guys with maps. And man, the first time I went to it, I asked him off to the side, man, you're giving it all up. You know, 
you're not holding anything back. He said, that's what my guys pay for. They, yeah. they pay for me to teach. And part of teaching is the when, the where, the why, and the how. And, you know, those guys so learn and they're good. Let's, let's, uh, let's touch on that a little bit. So how, how, when, when did you and Jay Watkins become friends? And then for anyone listening to this, that that's not familiar with Jay Watkins, please go listen to that podcast. It, it was season one, um, episode three, the one after mine. And it was by far my, my favorite so far. Hopefully, hopefully Lowell does a better job than him. We'll see how he does the rest of the podcast, but, hey. but. <laughs> Maybe on uh, no, I can't keep up with Jay on the BS department or the teaching department either one. I'm, I'm straight up honest. The the guy uh, lives it, breathes it. I mean, and and look, I I did a few seminars with him in the old days, and the guys that knew would hand me the mic first because they knew that once Jay got the mic, I might as well sit down or leave. I mean, Dude, he's he's good at all aspects, and I just before you get started on that, I, you know. Like I said, I'm fortunate enough. I've been able to have a few conversations with him on the phone, and, and we were talking about targeting trout uh, post front, which you know is always tough. And and I've always kind of knew this, but he puts things in such simple, you know, such a simple way to understand it. You know, I'm always looking for bait, whether I'm trout fishing or not. Even when I'm running charters, doing other things, I'm always trying to kind of like see where the bait is. And, and he told me this uh, this little saying. And it, it was it stuck with me so much. And, and he said, "The lion is never far from the gazelles." He said, "If you if you really think about it, you know where there's bait, there, there's going to be a big trout somewhere. But it's got to be a place that bait's always hanging out, you know." And it, it was a uh, just the little little tidbits like that. Just that little thing he said to me has stuck with me since he said it. You know, I was always already looking for bait. But now it's like every time I see a school of mullet, I think of Jay Watkins. Just now, Kyle. Now, Kyle. Now, listen to me. <laughs> he's like, he's like, the, the lines are never far from the gazelles. It just rings over and over in my head when I see a school of mullet. Now it's it's pretty funny. But but no, touch touch on that, man. Touch on you know y'all's relationship and and when y'all got to know each other and some 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 things y'all done together. Yeah, so I, I guess I met Jay probably March of ninety two. Uh, it's probably May of 92. Um, and so I, I had mentioned Gary Klaus earlier and James Fox and Jim Freeble and Howard Brown at the time. And those guys, <clears throat> I didn't see Jay at the dock much when I first moved here. And I'll never forget someone. I, I can't remember who it was brought up something about Jay and Gary Klaus said, well, he's fishing north. And somebody else was there and said something about, well, so just for people to understand, <clears throat> we call Rock, Rockport, our little town of Rockport's gotten a lot bigger. But if you launched at Goose Island or St. Charles Bay, that was fishing what we called North Country. If you launched at Cove Harbor South or Palm Harbor, Calm Brown, that was what we called the South Country. It was on either side of Aransas Bay. So you didn't launch in the middle of Aransas Bay and run because it's too rough. You launched on the ends of it. So someone made the comment, well, he's fishing north right now. And Gary Klaus spoke up and said, well, you know, he's not fishing north because it's harder. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, like yeah. Gary's on the meat. He's always on the meat. And that's why he's going up there. Is he, we're down here catching 20 or 30 and he's up there catching 100. And, you know, that was like, I was like, man, I want to, I want to meet this guy. You know, I want to know who this guy is. These, these guys, I'm, I'm looking up to these guys and they're looking up to him. 
you know. So I wanted to meet Jay at that point in time. And then over the course of time of me learning the water better, me fishing more areas. Hey, I never fished up north. But once I heard that comment, I started running up north. Uh, so that that's how, you know. I think I ran into Jay at a gas station and he, he knew who I was from Geary and we talked and, uh, you know, I tried to compete with him, um, day to day on the water. That was a driver for me is if I can keep up with him, I'll do okay. Uh, which wasn't very often that I kept up with him, but it was still a good goal to strive for, you know? Yeah. Uh, Yeah, no doubt. Setting those goals as a guide has really become, you know, you and I talk, you know, you're, you're messing with me about me, you know, running the sheep head trips here lately, just because it's just so easy. And, you know, I'm, I'm still building my clientele, but I figured, Hey, if I'm, if I'm going to run sheep head trips and dang, I'm going to catch a big sheep head. So, so that's what, you know, I just, you make these little tiny goals and it makes you become such a, and that's not just guiding, I guess that's kind of everything, but I, I kind of put that in my mind. I was like, you know, this person, they've never really caught much of anything. They're going to catch a sheep head. Well, they're going to catch a five to eight pounder and that's going to be their first one. I'm going to set the goal high. So when they go, when they go with some other guy down the road and the guide's like, Hey, you know, we're going to be catching sheep head. They're going to be like, Oh yeah, I've done this before. And hopefully, you know, I mean, nothing against another guy, but hopefully those people are going to be like, man, these are small. Like we were were used to catching big ones when we went with somebody else, you know? So you always want to catch bigger. You always want to catch more. Like I said, the guys that are passionate about it, they go on their days off. They go with their buddies. They go every chance that they can go that they're, you know, you also have to look at, okay, I got a wife and young kids. I also have some responsibility there. That kind of throttles you back. But the guy who's doing everything to, that he can do to go on those days that he can go when he doesn't have a charter, that's the guy you know really has the passion, right? Yeah. yeah He's man, always man. trying to learn more every day. Um mm-hmm. And I'm still, I still learn to this day. Hey, I, I've, I've probably been the luckiest guy there is uh, when it comes to getting to fish with a lot of different people. And and I'm going to leave people off that I'm not going to mention through this thing. And I don't want any of them to, to feel like I, I wasn't thinking about them. I just didn't mention their names. But, you know, I learned from Billy Sheikah. I've learned from David Rousey. I've learned from Tommy Ranzimski. I've learned from... Bart Albright. I've learned from Bo Masters. Uh, recently, uh, old little David Nassaloni. Recently, I've gotten to fish with a younger group of guys. The uh, Jeff Stecklers, Adam Nassalonis, Jay Ray Watkins, Jay's uh, oldest son. Uh, fish with my sons. Uh, pleasure of fishing with Brett Sweeney, Clayton Wessels, Jake Ludicky. Uh, those young guys, I mean, what they can do with a set of electronics on satellite image on a boat, you know, they're pointing out a little gut that runs up next to the beach. I'm looking at it going, yeah, uh, if you say so, you know, uh, these guys are good, man. They're real good. Uh, I've gotten to fish with, uh, John Gill, uh, Leroy Navarro, John Luetta, uh, man, the list goes on and on. Dale Combs. I mean, I've gotten to fish quite a bit with Dale. Dale is not a guide. Uh, not all these guys are guides that I'm mentioning, by the way. But, you know, Dale's a, a guy that when it comes to uh, not being super technical, but on the other hand, being real technical at the same time, the guy's incredible. Got a great set of eyes. John Gill has a great set of eyes. Uh, 
I've gotten to fish with you, Mike McBride. Uh, I fished with Jay a bunch. You know, I've been real fortunate there, right? Mm -hmm. So since I quit fishing, quit guiding, let me rephrase that. Since I quit guiding, I've gotten to fish with even another whole group of, you know, younger guys. And it's been a lot of fun. I I get to learn something every time I go with them. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna touch on that trip where where we got to we got to finally meet person to person and 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 fish together, which was an awesome way to to actually meet for the first time. We're gonna touch on that later in the podcast, but uh, yeah, man, that's that's good stuff. You know, learning from from anybody. I mean, that's the, that's the thing, and that you and I have talked about a lot on our our conversations on the phone. Is you know, you can, nobody's nobody's got it. You know, it just it, it keeps evolving, it keeps changing. Nobody's the the best of the best. There, there's always just something new and 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 something new to learn. But um, but so. So you met Jay and uh, y'all, y'all became friends after that. Um, did y'all, y'all fish some tournaments together, didn't you? Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> it's a big, you know, this whole thing turns into a big circle over 35 years, 40 years of friendships, right? Mm-hmm. So another friend of mine, Mike Herring, owns mainstream marketing. At the time, he was the Mustad rep, Mirror rep, Bass Assassin rep, uh, and he called me and said, hey, we want to put a little team of guys together down there. First person I thought of for lure fishing was Jay Watkins. Um, and so we put, if I remember right, at first it was Jay. And then I think Tim Redden ended up in there. And then when the either the Shimano or Daiwa came along, Mike started repping that. Tommy Ranzimski, David Nesloni Jr. But so during all this circle of being on the same pro staff, Mickey Eastman, uh, which was one of the guys that helped me out in the very beginning in 84 in Galveston started trout masters, a tournament series. And I think it was in the late nineties, 97, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Mickey starts a tournament series called trout masters. And back then it was, uh, it was a kill tournament. You weighed in three fish, uh, for two days. Uh, and look, they had it broken up into an amateur side and a pro side. Now, you were individual. It wasn't team. It was individual. But that didn't mean you didn't go fish with a group of guys. Uh, the first few tournaments I fished, I took charters. The charters signed up. They were on the amateur side. I was on the pro side. Uh, which, looked that whole amateur pro side deal over time and ev- figured out that, hey, that wasn't a great idea because the amateurs was the hardest division to win. Mickey even changed it to where once you won on the amateur side, you had to start fishing the pro side just to let some of the other guys fish it. It was a harder series to win. Mm-hmm. But during that time, that's when Jay and I started traveling together and fishing together. Even though we were fishing against each other in the tournament, uh, you know, save on travel expenses, hotel rooms, fuel bills, uh, scout together, fish together. It just, you know, so we fished some tournaments together at that point in time because of that. Cool. But that was, you know, when Mickey started Trout Masters, that was probably the biggest thing that ever happened to Trout Tournaments was Trout Masters. And they changed over the course of years, right? Mm-hmm. Well, that's cool. Um, so does that kind of bleed into how you got to know, uh, how you got so involved with Mirror Lure? Because, um, like I said, if you don't know much about me, you listen to the podcast I do with Chris, and I'm, I'm a mirror lure fanatic that's that's what i grew up fishing there was a point in my life where i did not throw anything else i only throw mirror lures uh, and that was just because that's what my dad raised me on my dad was a is, still is a phenomenal speckled trout fisherman 
And um, I know a lot about mirror lures, and it's kind of we're going to touch on this here here in a minute about how people need to really start getting their knowledge up on mirror lures because they're they're, they're the same lures that people have been throwing forever and they're still producing. They are still phenomenal lures. And when you and I first started talking and we started talking about mirror lures, I mean, you kind of blew me away with some of your knowledge and, and, and surprisingly you and I haven't really touched on that much about, about how you became so knowledgeable about mirror lures and, and your relationship with them. And this is kind of, kind of bleed into something later on in the timeline, but tell us about where, where that all started, your, your relationship with mirror lure and your, your love for mirror lure. <clears throat> so it, it, when I first started fishing, it was because of my dad, because he loved to fish him and a guy named Danny chambers. Uh, they fished the bay, but they also fished the surf a lot and they threw mirror lures, Tony, a set of spoons, cast master. That was about the three lures they, they threw most of the time. And, they would modify those lures some. Well, then Mike, that's so that's what we grew up through and mo- throwing mostly. I mean, we had the old styrofoam pet helmet that we'd put the foam ring. We'd caulk foam rings to it because you could hold more lures, keep more organized. You're carrying 50 pounds on your head, you know. Um, but then Mike Herring became the rep. And look, Mike was one of the guys I started fishing with when I was probably 16 or 17. But Mike became the rep. And then he put us on the pro staff. Then I think it was like in 97, 96, man, I might've been before that. We started playing with a top dog and, uh, I still have some of those prototypes. I'm going to say that bait went through about 15 different prototypes before they got it where they wanted it. Then they did not bring it out for a while. Uh, then it, they finally brought it out and I'm guessing it was 97 and we had a deal where there'd be a bunch of sports riders get together, a bunch of manufacturers to get together and we'd get a handful of guides and we'd fish for two days. Well, man, I was, I was so lucky. So I got the pick of, they, they would kind of, uh, you know, put their names in a hat and figure out, well, of course, Mike Caring being the rep group for mirror lure was going to fish with Eric Bachner. Well, we drew Larry Bosca as, as their, uh, as the sports writer and I ended up being the guide. So I got to fish with, you know, three great guys in the industry at that point in time, Larry Bosca, Mike Herring and Eric Bocknick. For those of you that are listening that don't know, is this name's going to come up a lot. Eric Bocknick is the owner of mirror lure, just so people are familiar with that. I don't want to throw that in there, but go ahead. Lowell. Okay. So on that day that I drew uh, Larry Bosca, Mike Herring and Eric Bocknick, we started out fishing top dogs. We had a pretty good morning. And I'd taken a 7M mirror lure, moved the eyelet from the top of the head to the nose, and I'd put some little lead stick on weights on it so I could get it below the surface. It would suspend. When the fish got to where they were slapping at the top water, not eating it, you would you could catch some extra fish, you know, pick up another four or five fish on that weight. Mm-hmm. Uh, Eric saw it. Eric started looking at it. I think Eric might have taken it away from me, actually. Uh but that's when he and I became such great friends. Uh, well, I'm not going to say we became great friends. That's when he and I started talking together a lot about modification of baits because we were always playing with baits. I mean, my dad would paint them with fingernail polish when I was a kid, taking 52 mirror lures, pulling the eyelet out of the top of the head, putting it in the nose so we could cast it into the wind and the surf better, uh, painting dots on them with fingernail polish. I mean, just 
another part of the sport is modification of your equipment and tackle, right? Mm-hmm. So that's when I got really involved with mirror lure uh, on being one of the guys that they would send prototypes to. I know James Plog, they sent a lot of prototypes to James Plog. Um, I think they sent them to Dana Bailey, James, Jay, Jim Freeble. I, I don't know who all they were sent them to here, but that's pretty much the list of guys I know, which, man, that was awesome, right? Made you feel like a really good part of the team, uh, that you had some involvement on what you were getting, you know, you had a little bit of involvement on what you wanted on to be on the tide on the end of your line, right? Mm-hmm. So that was my beginning with mirror lure as a, at that point in time. I think that was in 1997, actually. That's awesome. That's a, that's a cool story. It's, it's pretty funny you say that, too, because uh, especially about how you met him, because it's eerily similar to how I met Eric Botnick. I was uh, working a trade show, and, you, you know, you, you hear of people – and, you know, I'm sure a lot of people don't even know what he looks like. I, I didn't really know what he looked like. You know, this was a, this was about six or seven years ago and I'm at a trade show and I walk over to the mirror lure booth and they have everything. And, you know, I'm, I'm so excited to talk to this guy. I didn't know who it was, but you know, I just love mirror lure so much. I'm talking to him about it and had no idea who I was talking to. And, uh, we were talking about some things. He's like, well, what do you, uh, what do you not like about the baits? And I was like, oh, you know, it's, it's just a couple of things here and here and there, you know, the hooks kind of suck most of the time. I, I changed the hooks out. I said, I really love the seven M. It's one of my favorite baits. I was like, but it just doesn't get down the water column enough. So uh, my dad actually showed me the trick, you know, putting, we would get lead tape for golf or tennis rackets and we'd put lead tape on the nose to bring it down a little bit more to get it in that strike zone. And, and I was telling him about that and he laughed pretty hard at that. And, and you and I never talked about this. So that kind of tells me that, that, that he was probably thinking about you. And I was telling him that because it was the same exact way that I met him uh, talking about that seven M and, and modifying it and bringing it down just a little bit more. And, he laughed pretty hard about it. Super, super nice, super cool guy. He, he was generally interested in everything I had to say about his products. And uh, we talked and then he, uh, he tells me, he's like, man, I, I really, you know, I really enjoy talking with you and I'd, I'd love to, uh, I'd love to have you, you know, on as part of the team. He said, I'm going to give you my card. And he told me, told me what to do. And as I'm walking away, I was like, man, that guy was really cool. And, and I look at his card and it says Eric Botnick owner. And I was like, ah, oh, Jesus. I was like, I'm sitting here talking down about his dang product. But I guess that, you know, he, he wanted honest feedback. They're, they're always looking to improve. And since I've been with them, you know, I can call them and talk about things or, or if I ever have a problem with anything, which I haven't had really hardly any, but they, they, they're, they're still to this day, they're, they're open to suggestions and they, they, they want to hear about what you're doing with their product and, and things like that. And I think that's just hard to see nowadays. You got a lot of, a lot of lure companies that, um, and I, I don't want to talk down about other companies, but it's just kind of the truth. I feel like they don't even really test anything before they put it out. And, uh, you know, mirror lures got their test tanks and they're, and they're, they're painting certain lures out to certain people for, for who knows how long before it ever hits the market. So that's really cool to see a company that still cares that much and still that passionate about it. And especially in today's age where it's all about, you know, new, 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 what's new. And you and I have talked about this before you, you go to a trade show or you go to a, a, a fishing show or whatever, 
uh, most people that come up, they, they just want to know, you know, what's new, what's the new product. And it's not, it's not always about that. So I, I'd really like to touch more on some mirror lure since you and I are both very, very technical fishermen and, and we're very methodical about, about how we do certain things. Uh, tell, tell everybody a little bit about the different types of mirror lures, about the 51s, the 52s, the suspending, the catch 2000, just kind of, kind of go into that a, a little bit more in depth about, about those lures and, and why you like certain ones more than the other and, and when you preferred to use them. Yeah. I, well, I think you touched on a little bit. One, uh, Eric Bachnick is, you know, not only is he a super great guy, has a great team. Uh, he's a hell of a stick. Yeah. I mean, the guy can flat fish, bait caster, spinning rod. It doesn't matter. He's a fisherman and he's got Ray there that helps him a lot. Recently, he's taken on his daughter, Shelby. She's incredible with the social media stuff and their advertisement platform. And she's a fisherman. I mean, the whole fam- it's a family of fishermen. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I said, the, the top dog, man, I bet we worked on it for two years. And when I say we, I mean, they were working on it all the time. The pro staff guys were just getting the lures, fishing them and telling them what we thought, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we weren't working on it. We were just giving them feedback. And then, like I said, I think it was 97, I I fished with Eric, and he started working on the Catch 2000, you know, shortly after that, off of that 7M idea, not the 7M bait, but the 7M idea. And I think it took him until 2000, I think that's why it's called the Catch 2000, I think it took him until 2000 to come out with the product that he felt was the right product. That's um, such a great bait. I'm so surprised I don't see that in, in more guys' tackle boxes. That Catch 2000 is so deadly. Such a great lure. Hey, I, I love the 2000 Junior. I yeah, mean, yeah, and the Junior, yeah. You know, it's a great bait. Hey, I think the two most underrated mirror lures out there is one, the 7M, which has been around forever, Yeah. and the Catch 5. I think yeah. that's two of the – matter of fact, we are working on a modified Catch 5 now – uh, with a different weight system in it. And b- I say now we've been working on it. I mean, first prototypes were probably four or five years ago. Um, that gets back to, Hey, they don't just throw it on the market cause it's new. Mm-hmm. There's a, there's a certain color we've been working on since August of six, 2016 on the Paul Brown line. There's the catch five. We've been working on, they've been working on a heavy Miradine XL Man, two or three years they've been working on it. They don't bring it out till they get it perfect. Yeah, um, I, I heard rumors of that heavy XL, and you and I talked about this because you, you actually sent me some things to to play around with. But uh, I, I I reached out and was talking to Shelby and was like, "Hey, you know, I heard rumors of this," and she was like. Her response was just very vague. She's like, it's going to be a while. <laughs> I was like, you know, I'm sitting there thinking, oh, it, maybe it's going to be soon. But, you know, talking to you and, and hearing how long they, they like to test something uh, kind of shows. So touch on that that catch five a little bit. Explain to everybody kind of what a catch five does in the water and when a good time to, to fish a catch five would be. Anytime you would throw any other suspending bait, if you need something that has a little more action to it, that puts out a little more displacement in the water. And what I mean by displacement, fish have a lateral line. They're going to feel that. Mm-hmm. That bait's got big, wide shoulders on it. That bait pushes a lot of water. Wobbles um, like crazy. Yeah. 
it, it pushes a lot of water with that wobble. Mm-hmm. Um, if you, if you, you can tie it direct and it'll still wobble. Uh, but I would tell people if you're going to tie it direct, don't tie it direct with anything over like 20 pound, you know, a fairly limp 20 pound mono leader. But you can tie it with as big a mono leader as you want if you tie a loop knot. Yeah. Um, and it'll still wobble. Uh, uh, it, it's just, like I said, I think that. So basically, it and the 7M are the same bait that do two different things. The 7M basically has very little disturbance in the water very little action to it uh when the fish are a little bit spooky it's pretty calm the water's pretty clear you can slide that 7m in there not spook them it's where they Mm -hmm. catch five you know making such a big disturbance might spook them right Mm -hmm. yeah i I, when i first started throwing the catch five uh it it was i wouldn't say it was really by mistake uh it kind of was kind of wasn't but i was on some trout and a uh and and I was I was in an area that's that's known for big trout around here, and it's it's real loud around there, and um, just you know things going on on the shore. It's right off the shore, lot lots and lots of structure and deep water. And um, I was on a good topwater bite in in the evening, and I was I always you know I, I just I love that he dog so much, especially in rough water. I mean, I'm talking like a one foot chop, and the wind's blowing pretty good that thing is so big and makes so much noise they're gonna see it and the big fish are gonna hit it well the top water bite had died I, I caught some nice you know trout in the four to five pound range and um the, the bite died but i still saw them sitting there feed like i still see them chasing mullet and i was like well dang it you know they're, they're not hitting my top water and I, I look in my box and and all i had was a catch five that that, w- that was going to work in that scenario you can't throw really tails in there i mean you might be able to get away with it but you're going to get hung up every five seconds with where i was fishing so i tied on that catch five and i'd thrown it a couple times here and there and just you know just wasn't a lot of success because you you never know there's so many variables with throwing a new bait and trying to build confidence you know that might not be what they wanted but anyway so it had started getting really dark and the sun went down top water bite died they, they wouldn't touch it man i throw that thing on there and and what i like to do what i did what i figured out they liked and what i do with it now is when i throw it you know i get the slack out of line i reel it a little bit and i don't twitch it like i do a 7m or a 51 or a 52 or a mirrodon i actually kind of tug it i, I kind of like tug tug like like a real two real hard tugs and you can like feel that wobble almost like a mm-hmm. crankbait it just and then i and then i pause and then they would just annihilate it they they hit that thing so hard and it and after that day it became you know one of my confidence lures and and like you just said i don't really throw it on a lot of clear water days i'm i'm going to be throwing a 7m but either dirty water or rough water or i need something that's really going to grab their attention i really like that catch five and like you said that's another bait that i i don't see in in, in a lot of people's tackle boxes for for whatever reason it might just be around here you know everywhere is different but that catch five and i love the profile on it it's got that big round head like a mullet you know just it looks like a a, yeah it's got big shoulders yeah perfect size mullet just just in trouble in the water making all that vibration and that's a uh, that's a great lure, and and also we keep bringing it up, and, and we haven't talked about it much, but um, 
you know, that 51 and 52M mirror lures, man, what a, what a killer bait. So here, and you and I have touched on this a lot, you know, you're fishing Texas, you're fishing a lot of shallow water. Uh, me personally, uh, if I'm throwing a 51 or 52, uh, I'm usually throwing that in like anywhere from four to eight foot of water because, um, because I, I want to get down deeper. So, so how did you fish, you know, the, the 51 and 52s in, in that shallower water? Um, did you work it a little faster or, or how'd you, how'd you work those lures in, in those conditions? So, so the 52, um, we threw it in the surf. So we were throwing in deeper water. Uh, when we threw it in the bay, we would take the eyelet out and move it to the nose that helped it swim shallower. But Truthfully, the 52 was great in the boat. Uh, you got to understand, Galveston Bay is a deeper bay system. Some of our big bays, Aransas, Corpus Christi, San Antonio, are deeper systems. If you're boat fishing, the 52 is great. To me, the 51 is a little high in the water column. The 51 is built off the TT body, which is a, a little bigger, wider body. So it's got a little more displacement in it. Um, but, you know, that's that's what we grew up throwing was 52s, 51s, TTs. I mean, that, that was what we threw. And they all have their place. And they all have their time and sevens. Um, but, but I got to tell you, I think it was 2006 they came out with the Miradine. Oh, my gosh. I mean, that, the, to me, the Miradine may be the most perfect bait they've ever come out with. Isn't that isn't that their number one selling bait? Yeah, I, you know, I, I bet it's probably the Miradine itself, not the Miradine XL. Here, the Miradine XL sells better. But mm. if you look at the East Coast, Florida, you know, we're, we're a small percentage of their business in, in the big picture of things, right? Mm -hmm. um, I bet it's the smaller Miradine that, uh, that they sell the best for guys fishing docks, fishing lights. Uh, it, it, you know, well, first off, I mean, if you can throw it, it's just a great bait anywhere. But... Mm -hmm. I mean, the Miradine, then they came out with the XL, then they came out with the 2X. And I really like the 2X, but you have to be prepared with a different rod. You have to be prepared to go throw it that day. But the Miradine and the Miradine XL are just over the top. But, you know, all during that same time frame, I mean, they're just getting, you know, Miradine, in my opinion, was just getting better all the time at that point in time. Mm -hmm. um, I really think that bait put them over the top. Yeah, it's such a versatile bait. You catch it, and, and it's like you and I have talked before. Um, a lot of people, if you haven't done this, you should really try it. And you can do it with a double D, which we're, we're about to transition into, into Lowell's, uh, his, his, his business, uh, the Texas Custom Lures, here in a minute. But with a, uh, you know, I, I don't know what the right name is, by the way. Some people call them Miradines, Miradines. I call them Dines. That's just what I've always called. But uh, I, I guess Dean might be the right way, but I just, I call them mirror dines, but you can get a, a mirror dine uh, or even a heavy dine, which that's another uh, old one that you don't see in a lot of stores, especially around here. It's a, a really, really good bait. But um, sometimes when they're, when they're being kind of finicky and, you know, they're not really wanting to, you're not getting a ton of strikes or they're short striking that, that mirror dine, you can just slow roll it and you can figure out the speed by you know when you get it close to the boat and and you just you just want to roll you just want to reel it just enough to just make it it's gonna go that these baits you wouldn't think it but they swim so good they're just it's just left and right it's just it's almost Natural like a swim 
It's almost like a mini walk in the dog, but you don't feel it. It's just, the bait's just going left and right. And if you've ever paid attention and you've looked at bait, and, and one of the ways I became such a technical fisherman was a ton of night fishing. I mean, I just did I just did a lot of fishing at night. And there were times where I just, you know, I've already caught all the fish I've wanted to catch. And I'd just sit there and I'd watch them. I'd watch everything. I'd watch the way the bait's swimming, you know, the, you know the, figuring out that, you really see firsthand how much of an ambush predator trout are, especially the bigger, smarter ones, because all the babies are, all the dinks are up in the middle of the light, just free for all, you know, running around, hitting whatever they can. But all your big ones, they were two or three foot into the darkness. They're waiting for that bait to venture out, you know, away from the light or whatever. But you see, you actually watch how pogies and mullet and, and, and minnows and smaller baits swim. And they got a distinct way that they swim, especially when they just don't have a care in the world. And I feel like that's when trout love to hit them the most. You know, that's what like drives them crazy. They're just like, oh, this this dude's going to roll through here, you know, not giving a, a crap about anything. I'm about to smash him, you know, but yeah. the, the, the Mirrodon will do that if you just if you just reel it really slow. And, and it, it's a great, great bait. This season, we'd like to recognize one of our newest sponsors, and that is Down South Lures. From their regular 4-inch Southern Shad to the 5-inch Supermodel and versatile 3-inch Burner Shads, it's easy to see why these baits have become a go-to for many Texas anglers. Designed with their unique hybrid tail, its natural swims-in-the-fall action produces big trout not only here in the Texas coast, but across all estuaries. Aside from that, though, they're made right here in the USA. So be sure to support this Texas brand that supports you in pursuit of that next big bite. Real Sportswear humbly started making shirts for a few local fishermen. Rooted in simplicity and utility, Real's minimalist approach is a reflection of what binds the fishing industry together. Now found throughout many coastal retailers, their lineup of comfortable and functional gear aims to make your time in the water a success. So next time you're gearing up, Wear what guides wear and consider real sportswear. Mirror Lure is an iconic inshore fishing lure company found in every angler's arsenal. From their legendary lineup of lures such as the Top Dog and Catch 2000 to their versatile soft plastics like the Little John and Marshmallow, these lures not only catch fish, but have produced for decades. So whether it's a 17MR or a Paul Brown Cerise Fat Boy, Always remember to tie on a mirror lure and turn on the bike. Texas Custom Lures and the original Custom Corky have been podcast sponsors for the first two seasons and we're incredibly appreciative. This Texas brand with inputs from the most respectable guides across the Texas coast complete every big trout angler's arsenal. With great fish catching colors, my personal favorites, Texas Turnip, Bay Mistress, Plum Nasty to name a few. It's easy to see how these things produce time and time again. So next time you're targeting that next big bite, I highly encourage you to fish the original custom Corky. And remember, the big girls aren't colorblind. Let's let's transition over to uh, Texas Custom Lure. So so you are that's where most people now everybody's kind of got your background and a little bit of your history. But uh, most of our followers, uh, if they've heard your name in the past, that, that's probably where they'd be familiar with you as, as Texas Custom Lures. So tell us a little bit about how Texas Custom Lures came about, you know, the when, why, and how, and, and also Custom Corky. Let's hear, let's hear a little bit on that. 
Yeah, so we, we actually started custom Corky first. <clears throat> and, and it gets back to that not always having what you want for your location color-wise. Mm-hmm. Uh, and liking to tinker with the product and modify the product. 11 years ago, uh, Eric or Mirlure purchased uh, Paul Brown. And that gave me the opportunity with my relationship with Eric to buy blanks and to get some colors made that I wanted made. So it, it started out as we were going to start custom Corky as a business that sold four colors of lures, plum nasty, bone, chartreuse, Jose with black spots and per, pure silver with black spots. And then we're going to sell two blanks that we called canvases. That was just a silver hologram bait and a fat boy and the original. And uh a gold bait so so what 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 year did you start doing this just so we know this was uh man right after they i think they'd owned the company for two so nine years ago ten years ago okay all right yeah i think 2011 so it was right after they purchased it 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 opened the door for me to work with eric to get that done gotcha okay um and 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 the purpose was is we were going to sell these blanks to people so they could color and paint their own, modify their own. And that's mm-hmm. how it got started. Really? Uh, what we discovered over time was, is people didn't want to paint their own. They wanted, they wanted the right colors, uh, but they wanted you to make them for them. And people it, are it, generally lazy. So that makes sense. Yeah. <clears throat> so, I mean, <laughs> my kids would get Sharpies and big permanent markers and they'd paint them up. And by the way, they look great. Eventually, that does bleed a little bit and modifies the bait over time. It's still a good bait, but uh, it probably really got started as far as me painting baits, which, by the way, I'm horrible at. Uh, Jay came to me and he said, I will buy 100 of this color if you can get this color. I thought, yeah, 100 baits? Yeah, heck yeah. That's a heck of a sale for us at that time. So mm-hmm. I found the right color in a marker. I colored the baits. Problem was it wasn't dry. It stayed wet. Um, you got it all over you. It was a mess. So then I bought an airbrush and I bought all the paints. I figured out what paint was the right paint to paint on plastic. And I'll touch on that real quick. So there is a paint you can paint on plastic that will dry, that will not come off in the water. There's some people that will paint with a watercolor paint, which will come off in the water. Then they put a clear coat over it to preserve it. You can paint some really pretty stuff that way. The problem is it changes the weight, changes the way the bait behaves in the water. But really? that's that. So okay. I bought it. We figured out the color Jay wanted. We painted it. Then we started painting other colors. Um, and then we couldn't keep up with sales. Jimmy Burns came along and basically would buy all the inventory I could paint. Uh, so we shut the website down at that point in time. Uh, and then Jimmy being Jimmy said, Hey, you kind of suck at this. Why don't you get them to paint your colors for you? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, he was nice. He was nicer than that. He was more, uh, he, he beat around the bush a little bit more than that, but the gist of it was, he goes, Hey man, your, your painting's not very good. (laughs) And I asked Eric if he could do that. And he said, send me samples. Uh, so that's what I did. I painted up the samples, uh, the color combinations that we wanted. 
And look, the colors that we came out with, some of those colors, uh, I mean, I've got a, huh, I say I, Th this is a, this is a reverse pyramid business. It's 40 guys at the top that use this stuff all the time. And then it trickles down to me. I'm at the bottom of the totem pole. You know, all I do is what these guys tell me. And, and I learned that from Paul Brown. Paul Brown and Pete Tanner used to fish with me four days a year. And Paul told me, we were talking just, you know, you're fishing for four days, you're going to talk. And he said, man, what I do is I make what the guys that are fishing all the time asked me to make, you know, when it came to the colors, right? So that's what I do, man. I'm fortunate that I have all these great fishermen that target big trout uh, and I'll do colors. And the main thing is, is also, I would say 90% of them are very honest with me. And what I mean by that is if some, they don't like something, they'll tell me versus, oh, yeah, it's great. It's great. It's great. When it's not great. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you got to have that come feedback out. To, to make the product better. You know? Exactly. You hey, some have... of them will come out and curse you and tell you, what were you thinking? What were you drinking? Uh, and some of them are more political about it. And then, like I said, you know, so 90 percent of this group of guys is real honest with me. The other 10 percent have great knowledge, but they're almost too nice about it. But so that's how we came up with our colors. It wasn't like we just said, Hey, we're going to paint this color on this body and when we'll sell it. These were, you know, all baits that were tested a lot. And, and sometimes it's a very slight variation in a color. Um, I mean, sometimes it's, you know, very, very slight. So, but primarily we were building colors for clear water conditions because from Port O'Connor South, that's what you have a lot of. And Paul Brown really built colors for uh, East Matagorda North. Honestly, most of that's what most of their business was. And that's what, you know, their colors were surrounded by. But my relationship that started with Mike Herring when we were 14, 15, 16, I guess we were 15 or 16 led to my relationship with Eric Bocknick, which Eric bought Paul Brown, that's how I got into the custom corky business. And because Jimmy Burns said, hey, you need to let someone else do this, we were able to do a lot more baits, uh, sell a lot more baits, and they all came out painted much more consistent and better. By the um, way, uh, Jimmy Burns is the owner of uh, Waterloo Rods, and, yep. and and that's one of your – so, I mean, while we're on the subject, let, let people know where, where they can get your baits. If Well, I mean, obviously, if they are in Texas, they can go to the stores, but just kind of let everybody know – you know, where, where they can order them from. If yeah. Not so, um, and I don't want to leave anybody out. I don't want anybody getting their feelings hurt. So <laughs> we have dealers, uh, in the Valley. I should have prepared for this, uh, Port Eye <laughs> Outfitters, uh, hook, line and sinker. The next dealer up is in Kingsville, which is West outdoors. Corpus is, uh, Roy's bait and tackle. Rockport is Tackle Town. Port O'Connor is Jayco's Marine. Victoria is Jimmy Burns Waterloo Pro Shop. Uh, Eagle Lake is Johnny's Sports Shop, which has been there, man, I don't know, 60 years. Uh, Jake Ludicky now owns it. Great fisherman, great tournament angler. Uh, Anglers Anonymous and Katie. Uh, Lake Charles Bait and Tackle in Lake Charles, Louisiana. Uh, we've added two dealers in Louisiana. I'm not sure how you pronounce 
Pugula's, I think. Yeah, yeah, great store, great people. Yeah, I've too. never been yeah. there. I've never talked to the guys. Uh, uh, one of Mike Herring's employees at Mainstream Marketing set that account up. Yeah, that's a, that's a great store, man. Really good people that take care of their take care of their people. By the way, yeah, family yep. owned. Uh, really, really good store. Yep. So uh, you know, on the Paul Brown side, that's oh, and we have uh, Noose River Bait and Tackle in North Carolina, which has turned into a great. Great, great store uh, on the Paul Brown side. Yeah, so, yeah, and we're, we're working on uh, Furlands Marine, yeah. Goshe Marine, uh, yeah. Goshe, Mississippi. We're just kind of they're they're getting a little bit caught up on some things they were behind on and reorganizing the showroom that they're going to carry uh, just about everything you I, offer, which is going to be really cool for our Mississippi following to be able to. Hey, and from even what I understand, Alabama. they're going to carry the Texas custom jig heads, all the hard baits, the topwater baits, and the Paul Brown is what I understand. Full yep. line. Yep. And they're they're working to become like a trout fisherman's, you know, tackle shop. I mean, they're 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 talking they've been talking with Sims. Um, there's there's nowhere I get asked all the time, you know, some people just want to try things on before buying them. And I get it. You know, once you hold a quality product or you try on a quality product. You're like, okay, it, it's worth the extra money. You hear all these people talk and you know, somebody will comment and be like, what kind of waders should I get? And all your real deal fishermen will be like, Sims. I mean, nothing really compares. But uh, yeah. people want to be able to try them on and, 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 and things like that. And there's nowhere to do that here in, in Mississippi. And I, don't, I don't even think in, in Alabama, to, to, to be honest with you. But Furlands is going to uh, – they're going to be dealing with uh, Sims and uh, Hookset, which um, – Hookset makes a great wade belt and products as well. You, you kind of turned me on to them. Yeah, I, uh, I think they're even talking about possibly carrying Waterloo rods. Oh man, yeah, that'd be it's gonna be awesome, man. But yeah. uh, but so with that being said, uh, so what Noose River uh sells them online and Waterloo sells them online, correct? Are those, uh, yeah, those? online sales is Noose Waterloo and. Uh, I think Johnny's Sports Shop and maybe Roy's, but I'm not sure about Roy's. Okay, yeah. So if anybody wants to actually order them, uh, since you're not in Texas, those are your those are your options right now. But um, so a lot of you know, I know a lot of our Texas followers are already going to know this, but just for for everyone else, you know, tournaments down there, people are are it's it's real deal. That's some of the best trout fishermen, you know, I think in the country are down there competing, especially in, in like the legend series and, and all of that. I mean, these are just guys that are really, really on top of their game. And if you, if you follow any of those, you, you will see that a lot of those winnings, uh, how much money you think has been won on a custom Corky, if you had to guess. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I, I don't remember all of the tournaments off the top of my head, but I, so like today is the, the first day of the final legends tournament today, uh, for this season. Um, last year we had all the wins were won on custom Corky. Um, the year, well, let me, let me, let me back it up and do it another way. Cause I can't remember all the teams and all the dates. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe the team of Jake Ludicky. Brett Sweeney, Clayton Wessels, I believe they've won seven of the Legends. Wow. And I know all but one of those they won on Custom Corky. Uh, one of them they won throwing tails. Uh, 
and and I, I could be wrong on this, but I'm guessing it was either a provoker or a little John, but I could be wrong. Um, I know that, and I'm gonna, and this gets back to me forgetting names. Dr. Rudolph, Dr. Tim Rudolph, who was our very first custom Corky customer, by the way. Dr. Stutz, I don't remember who they were, who their third partner was. They won a tournament, and I know they caught their trout on custom Corkies, but I don't think they caught their reds on custom Corkies. So that's eight of the tournaments, let's say. Uh, the team of John Luetta, Travis McKee, Leroy Navarro have won five of the tournaments. Um, I'm going to say that some of their fish in every tournament, if not all their fish, I think they've probably caught a few fish on topwaters because I know they'll sight cast with, with small topwaters sometimes. I know they have sent me multiple pictures of trophies with my lures hanging on. This is what they caught them on. Uh, yeah. And they, th those guys throw double D's a lot too. Hmm. So that's, we're at like 13 of the tournaments. Oh, uh, Preston, uh, Whitley, I'm not sure who he was fishing with, but I was told the tournament that he won in Baffin was on custom Corkies. Um, I believe so John Gill, Octave, and Tonso Bosky won one, but not on custom Corkies. They may have caught some of their fish, but I don't know that for a fact. So it's just uh, safe to say it has a good track record with some of the best well, fishermen in Texas. Yeah. And so then, then this year, the two tournaments, the two they've had so far were won by J. Ray Watkins, uh, Adam Nesselin, and Jeff Steckler. And those were won on our baits also. Yeah. I, I think all but maybe one or two of the tournaments have all of the, the Legend Series have been won on Custom Corky. That's, and that says something, you know. But, but you got to understand, those are also the same guys that tell us what they want made. Yeah. yeah. So we're, we're providing those guys uh, with what what they ask for as much as we can. I mean, we can't do it all the time, but uh, we are as much as we can. And, and those are the guys that are designing. Truthfully, when I say designing, we're not designing the molds. We're not designing the uh, – the core material or the inserts. Um, and I want to touch on that in a minute also, but we're not designing that, but they are designing the colors and then we get the colors made. Mm -hmm. we're, we're trying to do it to what these guys want. You know, those are the guys that are fishing them. So, uh, so yeah, of the legends turn. Hey, last year I got a picture of the team of uh, ESCB, Eric Simmons, Jimmy Lloyd, J Ray Steckler and, uh, Chris, um, uh, Culpepper, which look, by the way, you take that group of four guys, those guys have won a boatload of tournaments from the trout masters day to present day, all four of them. Uh, that was a, uh, late tournament, June, July tournament. And they won it on floaters or they caught their trout on, on uh, custom quirky floaters. Uh, the picture I received with all the 50, 60, 70 grand cash laying there, whatever it was, uh, the trophies and the lures that were hanging in the trophies, if I remember right, were pistachio and plum nasty floaters, fat boy floaters, I think. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the track record is, is great uh, for custom Corky and Texas Customs on tournaments. Um, yeah, let's, uh, let's transition into that, uh, your, your other brand, Texas Custom Lures and that Double D. Wow, what a absolutely amazing bait uh we we kind of um 
I mean, I don't know if we can kind of take credit for it, but Speckled Truth, we kind of brought it down here at the Mississippi coast at the boat shows, you know, selling it for you down there, just trying to trying to get the word out uh, around here. And uh, ever since then, I mean, there's not many guys that I fish with on my fun days uh, that don't have a double D in their box. I mean, it, it's it's a confidence lure for so many people now. So tell us a little bit about the, the double D for in, in case somebody has not heard of it, which is going to be, uh, I, I, I find that harder to believe. But in case somebody listening has not heard about it, um, tell us a little bit about, about what it is and, and how it came about. So it, it is, uh, it's built out of the Miradine XL mold. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit different weighted. Um, <clears throat> it also is painted in our color scheme. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, it, in our salinity, so you know, baits are super salinity sensitive, right? When you're talking about a suspending bait, uh, kind of on the extreme, the Gulf of Mexico is 35 parts per million. Baffin Bay is between 45 and 55. Galveston's 10. Uh, and you've got everything in between all the way to fresh. So, but the double D in most conditions, uh, if you cast it out, it's going to float. Mm-hmm. As soon as you move the bait, it's going to go eight to 12 inches under the water, depending on the salinity. And if you stop it, it will pause uh, before it starts to rise back up. It will truly almost suspend. In some conditions, it will suspend. Uh, In fresh water, it will not float. I have seen it, the salinity so high in Baffin in the summertime that you couldn't get it to dive down. It it just swam across the top. Made an incredible top water, by the way. very versatile bait can be fished a bunch of different ways a slow steady retrieve uh you can work it really hard uh jay did all the testing on that bait uh he made a lot of changes uh i'm not gonna say a lot of changes he made some changes um and he fishes it super super aggressive uh mike mcbride his man he's falling in love with the bait hey there's a there's a guy in uh that that guides primarily for trophy trout trips always been a huge uh conservationist david rousey uh fishes baffin primarily you know he 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 had some input matter of fact on that bait we paint pink gills the pink gills were not about catching fish the pink gills was something we wanted to do so that when people looked in their box, if they didn't know our colors, if it had a pink gill on it, it was a double D and not a mirror D. And that was straight David Rousey. He's like, man, I, my customers, he goes, we're waiting. I yell out and put on a double D. They don't know which mirror D or which is a double D in their waiting box. He said, you got to differentiate the bait. Uh, so David helped us there. That's just another guy that's had input in our business, right? Yeah. Um, we have it in the XL size and then the 2X size. And the 2X will sink a little bit more. I personally throw the uh, XL most of the time, but there are times. Matter of fact, I, I did catch a big one uh, fishing with Jake Ludicky, Clayton Wessels, and Brett Sweeney in Port Mansfield on the XL bone chartreuse. XL is pushing the scales right at nine, uh, I guess, two years ago. But I don't, I don't throw it most of the time. I throw the 
the XL most of the time. I mean, the regular double D most of the time, not the XL. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've thrown both and, um, I, I do like both a, a lot. Uh, but I do, I do throw the regular double D, um, a lot more just because I think it's just the perfect, perfect bait for, for what it's doing. And for those of you that do fish mirror lures, it, it essentially rises slow. It's kind of like a seven M if you put lead tape on it. It is it, really my best. When I, when I talk to people about it, um, when, whenever Chris Bush first told me about it, we were talking on the phone. He's like, man, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta get one of these double D's. And I was like, and it's funny because, <laughs> and, and uh, I'll, I'll, I'll get back to that story in a second, but uh, he tells me about it and I'm like, I'm like, well, what, what is it? He's like, dude, it's a Mirrodon that acts like a seven M. And I was like, where do I buy them? Like I That's didn't even exactly what it is, except, except unlike it, it's a, it's a trade between the catch five and the seven because it does have a real tight natural wobble. Mm-hmm. But I do, I feel like it rises a little slower than the seven M. Oh no, no, that? it definitely rises yeah, slower. Yeah. So, it, it is depending on your salinity. It can be really a neutral buoyant bait where it truly suspends. Hey, I want to touch back on the XL double D a little bit. We have caught blackfin tuna, ling. There's been all sorts of species calling that bait. It actually trolls very well. Really? I yeah. The hooks, that. I would not mind. say are the best hooks for that, but yeah, we have done it with it. No, I've got some, uh, owner. Um, I think they were five volt, uh, 3x hooks i put on mine inline hooks because i was playing it I, I do i do i use i have used it for like school and bull reds and jacks you know um, yeah it's freaking perfect for that because you know i got it on like a you know five to sixty five hundred size reel bigger setup and i can tell a client and be like just chunk it out there they chunk it out and i'm like just reel it you know that's all they gotta do well and, yeah you uh, can launch it right you can cast yeah. that bait a mile with the right setup so yeah and it's perfect for chasing big up. schools of fast moving fish um yeah. hey i wanted to touch back on the paul brown a little bit we started talking about buoyancy and salinities and it, it got me to <clears throat> thinking my kids pointed out to me the other day they showed me a video of a guy doing a tutorial on a pro series uh i don't remember the guy's name but I don't want to call the guy out, but I really think he missed the whole boat on the deal. Uh, he said the sink rate is the same between a fat boy and a pro series. I highly disagree with that. <laughs> well, yeah. So, you know, I'm not saying I've weighed thousands of the baits, but I've weighed quite a few. And the fat boy is typically about a gram more, three quarters of a gram more than a pro series. And that's because the core material is lighter than the rubber, than the soft plastic. And there's a little bit more core material inside the bait. So therefore, it offsets it a little bit. The other thing that guy made a comment, he said that the flash isn't as bright or it's duller. I don't remember his exact words. It's the same exact hologram. There's actually more of it because you've got a wider longer uh core material and and <clears throat> it's not even so much the weight that changes the sink right it does a little bit but a fat boy when you stop it it's going to fall and then it's going to turn tail down and i'm not going to say a hundred percent i'm doing i'm going to say 90 percent of them will, will sink this way it will turn tail down 
And as soon as it turns tail down, it starts sinking faster because it has less resistance in the water. The Pro Series, which look, we, didn't, we never even talked about the Soft Dean, which is just an incredible bait they made. But anyway, the Pro Series, because it has uh, a longer, better weight displacement of core material, sinks flat. Mm-hmm. And because it sinks flat, it, it, its sink rate stays steady. Uh, and the other thing is, is it wobbles just beautifully side to side as it goes down. I think that is probably, in my opinion, it will probably end up taking over the custom corky line at some point in time. We will probably get to where we're doing more of it than we are the the fat boy. I I love that pro series, man. Yeah, that's what I was throwing when you and I fished together, and and I would I just started throwing it uh, a couple couple weeks before. Yeah, but I, I do I like it, man. I think it. it not to take anything away from the fat boy, but it, I think it holds up a little better. You know, it it stays straighter. I just, I don't really tune mine. I know a lot of people do, but, uh, I don't, uh, not really. I just kind of make sure it's straight. That's about it. But, um, I think it just kind of, let me interrupt you for a minute. You've hit on something great there. You don't have to tune it. That's the whole, the, the bait is just a more consistent swimming bait. You don't have to tune it. I'm not saying you don't want to bend the nose down a little bit if a fish gets it and bends it. But really, because of the way the core material's in there, it's not really a bendable bait to tune it. Um, You can straighten it back up, but it is really uh, doesn't tune well. If you want, you know, some guys like to bend the nose way down or bend the tail way down or whatever. If you're one of those guys, it's really not for you. But if you like to take a bait out of the package, tie it on and fish it, it's a great bait. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's kind of funny because, uh, the first time I fished with Mike McBride, uh, you know, we always all have our own little theories of why we do things a certain way. And, you know, I, I love that he dog and I, I love working it a, a certain way. I, I do not work my top waters fast. You know, I work them pretty slow. It's just like a chug. And I, I had not said anything to Mike about that. And, and this was years ago down in Port Mansfield with Chris Bush and his dad, Mr. Charlie, who absolutely loved the death. I need to fish with him soon. I need to get him over here. But um, we're, we're sitting there waiting, and I'm, I'm throwing a, 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 a she-dog because I didn't have a he-dog with me. And, and Mike looks over at me. He's like, man, that's a, that's a great top water. And he's like, you know what we really like to do? He was like, we like to, we like to just you know do it real slow and just kind of chug it along. And I was just like, like hearing that and and you know you have your own theories and coming from somebody you know like him it's a great fisherman and then he's like that's what trisha called her 10 pounder on and and all of this i'm just like it's it's nice to to hear things like that and and that happened again when i got to fish with you and jay and uh jay and i were talking about uh corkies and and i was talking about uh i was like man i don't i don't really i don't tune mine i was like do you ever tune yours and jay's like nope i don't touch them you know, I was like, and that's like, that's two times, both in Port Mansfield that I asked two guys who I, you know, highly respect and highly look up to in, in the trout fishing world that I asked them, or, or they told me about something that they do that I was already doing that I was just like, yes, like I'm on the, I'm on the right track. But I, I just think it's kind of funny that, that, you know, we're talking about that and talking about, you know, tuning them and things. But, but then again, I know guys that tune them that are way better trout fishermen than I am. Hey, no, there's, there's some guys out there that are, that are phenomenal with that bait that do tune it. And look, I think part of that is where they fish conditions. They fish 
uh, if they're fishing a little fresher system and they're fishing that bait in deeper water, then we'll normally even try to fish it in here. And, you know, I had a guy tell me one time, he goes, look, I can bend the tail down. I can bend the nose down a little bit, the tail down a whole lot. I can throw it out. I can slow reel it. And it'll stay at the depth that I've let it sink to. Man, that makes perfect sense. We mm-hmm. just, I, I say we, I don't fish that type of water very often. So therefore, that's not my way of fishing it. Um, hey, look, Pete, Pete Tanner, I watched him fish it. Uh, incredible, man. I mean, he, he said, basically, you throw it out, you hold your rod. He actually threw the original most of the time. Hold your rod down a little bit, a 45-degree angle away from your body, and change the cadence of your reel. And, man, the, the, he caught a ton of fish that way. <laughs> I mean, he caught yeah. a ton, you know, something I would never do. But he bailed them doing it. So, yeah. yeah, sometimes, you, you know, you, you fish with people and, uh, I used to be real and I, I kind of got this from my dad too, you know, like I, I would only throw mirror lures, didn't matter who I was fishing with and, you know, they could be wearing some fish out on, on a lure and, and I wouldn't take it, you know, I'd be like, nope, no, nope, I'm going to catch them on what I'll like trying to force the fish, you know, to, to catch them on what I wanted to catch them on. But, um, when I started coming out of my shell a little bit and, and trying other things and, and becoming more versatile, uh, I found out real quick that it's not always just the lure <laughs> because, you know, I'd be fishing with a buddy of mine, like, like Troy, Troy Helwig's notorious for it. Great fisherman, good friend of ours, uh, good, good, good supporter of speckled truth and everything. And, and, you know, Troy and I would be fishing and, and he'd be throwing, you know, like a down South lure, he, he'd be throwing something different. And, he'd catch three or four and, and his, his catchphrase is always, it's heating up as we all, it's super fun guy to fish with. He's always like, it's heating up. It's heating up. You better get one of these DSLs on. It's heating up. I'd be like, and eventually, you know, you break down because if you don't, he's going to whoop your butt. He's going to, that's just- another great bait also, right? It, it's not a bait that I throw. I don't throw paddle tails very much, but that's another just great bait, right? Oh yeah. Great, great bait. But he, uh, if, if you don't switch, then, then he's just going to, he's just going to work them in front of you and you're going to feel like an idiot. But, uh, I'd be like, all right, give me one of those. Give me one. And yeah, then the, you know, the, the Indian got in your head it, at that point in time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and he <laughs> not would, the arrow, uh, the Indian. <laughs> yep. Yep. The old, old Mike's favorite saying, it's not the Indian, it's the arrow or it's not the arrow, not the arrow, it's the Indian. But, uh, and then hey, I'm look, Mike, Mike will tell thing. you that, but you look at every bait he's got and he's modified it a little bit. And I'm like, well, if it's so much the Indian, why are you modifying this stuff? <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? Constantly tinkering with baits. But uh, but then, you know, I'd put on whatever he was throwing and he'd still, I, I feel like he does that just to mess with you. Like, because he knows he's still going to keep, because he's got it in his head, how he's working that bait and all. He's got them like tuned in. And you can be throwing the same bait as somebody else, and and they're still going to work you just because the, the, they they tweak their wrist a little bit, they hold the rod a little bit different. And sometimes it's things you, you you can't even see, you know. It's just it's just the way that they do something different. And you can be throwing same rod, same reel, same line, same bait, same leader, same everything, and somebody could still outfish you just with the way that they fish. Just kind of touching on what what you were talking about, how certain people do things a certain way. But um, funny you say that about Mike, because whenever that last time down in Mansfield when we all had to fish together that, that last night, Ed and I were over there having a couple of drinks and, and talking with Mike and Trisha. And we went downstairs and uh, sure enough, he, he's got a double, he had a double D down there 
and he had the the gill painted on there. <laughs> you know, yeah, he, I he, had, to, he had to tweak it. He had yeah. to, he had to do something to it. Perfect name, but he had to he had to put that red gill in there to make that pronounced red gill. Hey, ch- changing the subject a little bit, but back to what we were talking about a guy that has the passion. While we're talking, I just got a text from my son, my youngest son, Hunter. He and one of his buddies are on Choke King, and he sent me two pictures. They look like they're about three to five pound bass. So, wow. you know, it, you just got to go where you got to go sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know, right? I, I, so- I had to inject that to you while we're talking. But, um, no, you know, like I said, it gets back to the – it is at times the arrow plays part of it, uh, mm-hmm. but the Indian is the biggest part of the role, right? Oh, yeah. I'm my own worst enemy out there, man. I'll overthink so many things. And and that that was a nice breath of fresh air fishing with y'all. I mean, I, I'm you talked earlier about how oh, you're so fortunate to, to fish with the people that you fish with. I feel like I'm in the same boat, man. You know, I've, I've got to fish with Mike and you and Jay Watkins. And I could go fish with Chris Bush whenever I want. His dad, Mr. Charlie, whoever they want. My dad. A lot of great anglers around here. And I kind of... You know, I'll learn a little bit from, from everybody and going down there and, and fishing with y'all, you know, y'all have a pretty simple approach to it. You know, I mean, there's, there's all this information out there, you know, coming from here, from speckled truth, coming from all these other sources online, you can read for days about chasing big trout and it's great. And I'm, I'm glad that there's all that information out there. But sometimes it's just information overload. You're thinking about too much and you just got to get back to the basics, you know, structure, bait and, and water movement, you know, just the simple things like that. And when we pulled up to that, that, that one spot, you know, we had been fishing all that day before, before we met up with y'all and, you know, lots of small trout, you know, nothing really to write home about. And then we get up with y'all and, and, and go to one spot and it was just phenomenal. You know, <laughs> it was, it was big fish after big fish and it, and it was catching it with y'all and, and it was, it was fun, man. And, and, and talking with y'all, you know, about breaking down that spot and why we were there and things like that. It was just the, the simplicity of it is what made me when I got back home, you know, kind of slow down and really take a more simple approach to it. And then, you know, same bait I caught the the big trout on down there with y'all uh, standing right next to you, that, that, that pro series fat boy, you know, I came home and, and stuck a pig in the back bay, you know, uh, like uh, in conditions yeah. that happened that great and just applying the same thing I learned with y'all just came back, same bait, same conditions, found something very similar and boom, stuck a big trout, you know? Hey, so, just, just so guys don't get the wrong idea about when you say that spot, explain to them that that spot was probably 400 yards wide by 800 yards long. It was an area. And then we picked out when we say spot, we picked out the line that the bait was on the line that the potholes that the bait was on. Then it became a spot, but it didn't start out as we're going to fish right here in this big area. You know, you're talking about, it was 10 acres and we picked out a zone uh, 50 yards wide by 100, 200 yards long, right? Yeah, and that's, that's you just touching on what I just said about y'all. You know, you, you broke that down to us, and, and it was it was really just kind of, like I just said, structure and bait, you know, and water movement. And, and, and y'all knew, look, this is, this is, what, we, this is what we're going to try. We're going to go here. I mean, dude, you, you, you freaking called your shots. You were like, look, we need to come up just a little bit more. You need to be thrown in that trough right there. And, 
Dude, I, I wish I would have landed that one trout that came up and 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 showed you her butt <laughs> right yeah. next. Yeah, uh, well, that you, was that was a that was the one, man. She came. Well, up I, and, I couldn't tell you how big that fish was because you're already so down on yourself. I need you to catch something first. <laughs> yeah, that that was the one we needed. That was well, you know, I caught those, you know, <laughs> redfish, 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 and then I, it felt just like a redfish, and I, I really didn't horse it or any. I don't, I don't know what I could have done different, but. You know, once it once it came up and came up right in front of you, and and you looked at me when it came off, and you were like, "That was a good fish." <laughs> I was that, like, "That was that good old loose drag you were working." Yeah, that's right, man. That's right. That I, that's one thing I've definitely changed is uh is I no longer use a very loose drag for speckled trout. Believe it or not, a- after fishing with y'all, um, I know a lot of people are going to find that hard to believe and they're not going to be willing to try it. But, um, the next two fish I landed after that was on tight drag and I, I I got to hold them and take pictures with them. You know, I didn't get to with that other one because it was just in the water too long. You know, well, I can promise you the fish that Jay caught and I caught were on tight drags also. I mean, we look, put the drag down, you get a hook in them good instead of just in the skin and if they get off, they get off pretty quick. You don't have to worry about it. You get to keep fishing and catch another one. Hey, I want to touch back on that getting to fish with people, right? That's something I think people in this sport ought to do is make a list of guys you would like to fish with. I've told you about all the guys. I've, I've been so fortunate to get to fish with all these guys. I mean, there's still a bunch of guys I want to fish with. Um, Kevin Aiken, Cody Barton, Clark Jordan, Brett and Bart Carone. I mean, those are just names off the top of my head. I haven't got to fish with Adam Nessoni. I'd like to get to fish with Adam and Jeff. I haven't got to fish with Ryan Watkins. I mean, this list goes on and on. And I, I think it's, I mean, I think about that all the time on the guys. Uh, I'm so fortunate to have fished with the guys I have, but there's a whole group of guys that I haven't got to fish with that I still, hey, Bink Grimes, Tommy Alexander. I mean, the list goes on and on of guys I want to fish with. Um, and I can learn from every one of those guys. And that, that helps me in my lure business. It opens, it opens me up to more uh, thought process about fishing, but it also, you know, will help me in my lure business by listening to what those guys want. You know, I've, I've got to fish with Jimmy Lloyd, uh, uh, Eric Simmons, John and Chris Culpepper. I mean, you talk about guys that are just eating up with it and have great track records. I mean, these are all guys I've gotten to fish with. There's a bunch of guys that, that are really great anglers that I haven't gotten to fish with, you know? Mm-hmm. Yep, I, I got my list. Uh, I, uh, I told her the other day, and I, I told you too, uh, or the other week, you know, Trisha, Trisha's one of them uh, uh, up there real high. I'm, I'm, ho- I'm really hoping her and Mike can get down here and, and we're going to yeah. run out to the Chandelier Islands and fish. And, and I want, I know I've already fished with you once, but, you know, like I said, I want you to come down here. I want to show you what I got going on over yeah. here. And, and that's hey, as much stuff as Jimmy that. Burns and I have done together, I've not never gotten to fish with Jimmy Burns, never got to fish with Colby that works for Jimmy. Hell of an angler. Man, the guy for his age has won as much many tournaments as everybody. Preston and Trent Whitley. I mean, the, the list goes on and on of all these guys that I'd like to fish with. Hey, I haven't got to fish with Chris. I've fished with yeah. you and Ed. I haven't got to fish with Chris. Yeah. You know? And look, that's how we met was through Chris. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And, you know, it just hasn't worked out where, you know, our timing worked out where we could fish together. You know, he's got wife and kids and a job and uh, trying to do the speckled truth. And, uh, you know, so, hey, the speckled truth, look, look, you know, that opened up other guys uh, that I want to get to fish with. Right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. 
there, there's some people that have, you know, messaged me and things like that uh, through the Speckled Truth or on my personal pages or whatever, and and they've been like, like man, I, I you know, I want to, I really want to fish with you and this and that, and I'm looking at their stuff and I'm like, shit, I want to fish with you. <laughs> I'm like, I think yeah. I think I need to, I didn't think I need to come to where you are, man. But yeah. I, I, I do. I'm I'm glad you said that's a that's a really cool thing to tell people to do is is make that list and. You know, whether it's a guide or, or whatever, uh, just try and fish with those people because, like, I mean, I, I could say most of everything you've told us, you know, it, it's really about your life and some things you've done, some really cool stuff you've got to be a part of. It, it was all about networking. You know, you never know what's going to happen with those people. You might go somewhere and fish with somebody and it might be the, I feel like I'm always looking for that missing link. You know, you go, you think you got everything figured out, not everything figured out, but you think you got a good grip on everything. And then you go and you fish with somebody that's doing just one thing different. And you're like, man, if I would have been doing that three or four years ago, I would have been catching so much bigger fat fish so much sooner, you know? And, uh, it's, it's a cool thing to do is to go and, and, and fish with those people that, that you, you want to fish with. And not only that is the, the friendships and stuff that co the camaraderie that comes out of it. You know, that's kind of, I talked oh, about. Yeah. Hey, my, my list later. of the guys I've gotten to fish with, you know, a lot of them I haven't gotten to fish with lately. So you don't think about them as much, but Jason Hudson from McLean trailers, hell of an angler, uh, Phil Marks, who recently passed away, designed a bunch of baits for strike King. He was a bass fisherman. I had him fishing in Rockport one time <clears throat> We're fishing about 20 inches of water, 22 inches of water bait. Fish are there. We're just not getting bit good. And he said, hey, I need a three-quarter ounce jig hit. I'm thinking, I need a bare hook. He's thinking three-quarter ounce jig hit. I'm like, what What are you talking about? He goes, oh, we can dust it. We can we can rip it through the grass, and the mud will kick up, and it'll, we'll get a reaction bite out of it. Um, you know, whatever. The heaviest jig hit I own on my boat's a quarter ounce, right? Mm -hmm. He finds an egg weight, a quarter ounce jig head, puts it together, and starts railing them. I mean, railing them. I mean, I, you know, I would never do that, right? I haven't ever forgotten it, though. That was 25 years ago. I have not forgotten that. Uh, Ron Reed, another great guy. He's no longer with us. I learned a ton from Ron Reed, Tim Harris. I mean, if you go fishing with somebody and you don't learn something from them, I mean, because, look, you can learn stuff you don't want to do also, right? So, yeah. uh you know, I, I just don't think a, a, a going fishing with someone you haven't fished with before, there's any, you know, real, when it comes to the fishing part of it, downside, because you can learn, I definitely don't want to backlash like that guy all day. I definitely don't want to have a half a spool line on my rod. Uh, I definitely want to learn how to tie knots. I mean, that's the bad stuff that you can learn from somebody too, right? Uh, but make that list and, and, you know, try to get to go fish with those people. Yeah, no doubt. Well, um, we're getting up on some uh, pretty good time here. We're at an hour and 30 minutes. Um, I'd like to close it. A lot of great information, Lowell, and I really appreciate you you know, taking the time to do this. But I think the one of the best things to end it on here would be um, really what the Speckled Truth is all about and kind of why it came about and one of the main reasons I got super involved with it and you know ed chris and i have become and keith have become you know lifelong friends over this and it's opened so many doors for all of us but uh that's just conservation uh, of our resource so if you want um maybe 
give your little spill about, you know, what you've seen in, in, in your lifetime as far as uh, conservation and, and, and how you'd like to see anglers move forward from here on out. So, you know, I would say that in the 80s, we killed them all that we caught, right? Um, I would say that lasted through, man, maybe the mid-90s. And, and you started seeing guys get more about letting the bigger ones go. You know, mm-hmm. it, there was just really no no reason. We had proved it to ourselves. We didn't need to prove it to anybody anymore. Um, and I think that's been a trickle effect. Pretty slow, right? I think the older guys that decided, hey, we don't have to kill them, they made that decision 10 years ago. I think the older guys that didn't make that decision, you're not going to change their mind. But, man, the guys that are 40 and younger, I think they're way ahead of the game on catch and release. I think they're, I think, uh, you know, maybe it's the uh, fact that everyone has a phone with them with a camera and they can take pictures right then and let them go. So their ego, they don't have to come with the dock. I don't know what it is. I would just say the younger generation is way more involved in letting fish go. I agree. Uh, you know, I, I, I got attracted to speckled truth through Chris uh, Chris was, you know, hey, catch and release of the bigger fish, not in your face about it, you know, uh, a more laid back approach, right? And that's really what brought me to you guys is the the more educational laid back approach other than just being real brash at the cleaning table, uh, cussing somebody for killing them, right? Yeah, or um, social media, you know, some people... I think, I think something that a lot of people don't understand is that, um, and, and you go through these stages and, and just to touch on what you were just talking about this first stage, we might see that go away. Like even, you know, in my lifetime is that first stage when you really start getting into fishing is you don't really know any better. You're a meat hauler. That's what everybody goes through it. Everybody. I was a meat hauler. Chris Bush was a meat hauler. Ed was, you were Jay. Well, everybody was a meat hauler at some point in time. Right. And, and I think part of that was, we just didn't really know any better, you know, and, and you know, you, you got a guy who's getting into fishing and he, he's proud of what he did and things like that. And he might post, you know, a big dead trout or a table full of dead trout. And then here you go, you come along and, and you, you rail them on Facebook. Well, you just did exactly the opposite of what you were trying to do. That dude's probably going to become a extreme meat hauler now because you chastised him for doing something that you didn't like. And that's not our approach at all. I really have no problem with meat haulers as long as they are, you know, within the regulations. I mean, yeah. Hey, hey utilizing the resource when they ahead. take it. Hey, I'm going to touch yeah. on something you said about chastising the guy. I was not there, did not see this, but I've heard this story from numerous people. Uh, and this gets back to a guy that I have been lucky enough to fish with Cliff Webb. And, Cliff would be at market 37 and I can't remember the guy's name kept telling him, Oh, you're not really catching all those big fish. Oh, you're not really catching all those big fish. You're full of it. You know, da 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 on and on. A couple days later, Cliff comes in with an ice chest full of biggins. I mean, biggins. And the guy just, you know, up Cliff. Why? I can't believe you killed all those big fish. Da da. Just on and on. Cliff lets him go on. Doesn't say anything. Finally crowd gets around and Cliff looks at him and goes, Hey, I didn't kill those fish. Your big effing mouth killed those fish. <laughs> you know, yeah, and it's exactly doubt me, doubt about. me, doubt me. And, that, and I'm going to prove it to you. And I'm going to throw them up here on the dock and show you. So yep. 
it, it does not work just to belittle people uh, about what they're doing. Education, just educate them and go about it and let, hey, people are getting it a lot sooner now because it's out there. Before it wasn't out there. You guys are putting it out there. I think y'all are putting it out there better than most. There's other people that I, this is this other thing. There's there's some guys out there I think are using conservation to promote their business. Oh, um, we're we're big yeah. catch and release. Only catch and release. Uh, you know whatever, right? <laughs> whatever. I, I think some of those that, guys that, are are strictly in it for their own selves. Uh, yeah, look, that's one of the things that really grind. I'm in the lure here. business. I want y'all to catch them. The more I'm out there, the more I'm y'all catch. The more lures I I sell. But that is not our goal, and that's not our reasoning uh, for promoting speckled truth. We we have 40, 50, 60 of the best pro staff guys. I don't even know all the guys that promote our product all the time. Somebody will send me a link to somebody's Instagram page, and I look at it and go, man, this guy's one of our best salesmen. I've never even heard of this guy, you know? Uh we're so fortunate in that aspect. That's not why we got behind Speckle Truth. We got behind it because of y'all's passion for the sport, y'all's passion for conservation, and your approach about educating people on it versus shoving it down their throat. And I want to touch base on one other thing while we're talking about this. You may want to edit it out later. It may not be y'all's deal. I hear people talk about, oh, outlaw croakers, outlaw croakers, take croakers away. Look, it's real simple. Dead is dead. Gill net, square hooks, trot line, lures, fly rod, it doesn't matter. When it goes in that Ziploc bag and it migrates north to Houston, San Antonio, Austin, wherever, it didn't really matter how it ended up in that bag. If you take away the people who do not get to fish all the time ability to go out and use bait and catch some fish, you're just going to limit the number of people. That limits the number of dollars going to parts and wildlife, license sales, uh, federal excise tax on every rod, reel, and lure sold. That is not the right approach. Education, take what you need within the boundaries, let the rest go is the right approach. And that's what y'all do. Yeah. And I appreciate that, man. And I appreciate you uh, supporting us. And, and like I said before I, before I got into this subject, um, you know, conservation it's it's opened up so many doors for you know not only me but chris and you know to build these relationships and and i'm, I'm very fortunate the people i've got to know the people i've got to fish with and that's that's not why i do it you know none of us with speckled truth take a take any money out of this it, we we all have very busy lives you know chris is a commander uh, i'm a full-time fishing guide uh, keith has a lot going on his mom just passed away you know we all have our own issues and time restraints but we we do it just because we simply love it and, and we want it to be around for for the next you know not just the next generation but forever if possible you know and i really appreciate your, your time for this podcast man and, and sharing those stories and, and sharing a little bit about you and i, I hope everyone that, that listened to this really learned something and and if you're interested in looking up some of these lures we talked about obviously you know mirror lure shop mirror um texas custom lures you know make sure you follow them on instagram facebook custom corky uh, you can order them if you if you are not in texas and you'd like to order some noose river johnny speed shop 
and uh, I guess Roy's tackle were, were kind of maybe 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 Roy's tackle. I don't know. Yeah, but, I'm not uh, sure about Roy's. I, I know Noose, Johnny Sports Shop in Eagle Lake, Texas, Waterloo Pro Shop in Victoria, Texas, and I think Roy's in Corpus Christi, Texas. I, I think those four do online sales, um, and they carry our full line of product. Uh, uh, Roy's does not carry our jig heads, um, they, but they carry all the hard baits and all the Paul Brown, all the soft deans, all the fat boys, uh, the floaters, they carry all that. Yeah. And, and something, uh, maybe some of our listeners should be aware of is, um, you know, say you order some baits and, and your local tackle shop doesn't have them, uh, you know, get with them, see if they want to become a dealer, see if they want to start carrying them. Uh, that's how, that's how all these things grow. You know, these, I know it says Texas custom lures, uh, but it's not just a Texas bait. It, it's worked everywhere, you know, and when people really start getting into these baits, uh, you, you'll see it's just, it, it, they're great baits and there's, there's nothing like, nothing else like it on the market, I, I feel like, but um we're going to wrap it up with that. Uh, I don't have a catchy uh, tagline like Chris Bush does. <laughs> so I'm just going to steal his and say, keep what, uh, catch, keep what you need and release the rest. And uh, thanks for thanks for listening to this podcast. And again, Lowell, thanks a lot, man. And uh, we'll see you all in the next episode. Hey, thank you guys so much.